0: Amen. Um, I was just told that there is a Cadillac on the lot. Lights are on, so if that's you, um, you may want to go out. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's what I get. That's what I get. Praise God. So um, this was going to be my debut, but I think I'm going to back off right now. We just lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy this morning. We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you, God, that chains are broken and burdens are lifted. We thank you for peace, and we pray that your word would enter our heart and bear fruit in our lives. Bless the pastor and give him strength in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, today, guys, before we before we dismiss, today is Life Group Sunday. Life Group Sunday. So we're going to give you an opportunity to uh, come up and sign up for life groups right at the end of service. We're going to have our life group leaders uh, come across the front here, and they'll give you a quick word, like one sentence, two sentences about their life group, and then they're going to um, you'll have an opportunity to sign up in the lobby. So I'm going to try to be brief today um, so that we'll have an opportunity to do that. But don't hold me to that because that usually means I tack on an extra 15 or 20 minutes. I hope that's okay. Um, so we're going through the book of James. And you remember in the first chapter, uh, James was Jesus's little brother and he wrote the book of James. It was a letter that circulated to all the Christians out uh, throughout the Roman empire outside of Jerusalem. James was a pastor In Jerusalem and he was writing this letter and he was basically telling the folks all around christians all around the roman empire This is how you walk it out. This is how you run to win This is how you put your faith into action And in the first chapter if you recall james uh, was telling us how to overcome temptations and trials in the second chapter uh, Jason fry preached that sermon a couple weeks ago, which was awesome It was about getting out of your comfort zone and living a life on mission uh, last week, we talked about the power of words, and today, James chapter 4 is all about conflict. It's about conflict and battles and wars and disagreements and arguments and squabbles. It's about conflict, um, and James gives in this chapter today, he gives a diagnosis, he gives a prognosis, and he gives a treatment for the conflict in our lives. Um, let me, let me start today with a question for you and just to grab your attention. Okay. When is the last time, just, you don't have to say it, just think about it. When's the last time you got into an argument with someone? Some of you are thinking it was on the way to church today, right? I see I Don Moses. Is that what you were just thinking? No. Um, uh, it's hard to get the kids to church on time. And sometimes that can cause an argument, right? We, when, when, if Rebecca and I are ever in an argument on the way to church, we pull up in the parking lot and we go, okay, truce. We're going to pull a truce right now. We're going to go worship for two hours and we'll come pick this up, right, at the afterwards. And I'm going to think of some good things to say while I'm at church to win this argument. Um, some of you are saying, you know what, I don't really get into arguments. I don't have conflict in my life. You may just be a conflict avoider. So there's actually conflict going on. It just never comes out. So I would ask you, how long has it been since you have had any conflict? Because conflict is pervasive. It's not the it's not the exception to the norm. It's the norm. Peace is the exception to the norm. Um, on Friday, uh, I picked up my mom and my sister, and we're really glad to have them here. Um, we're praying for them to move here if they can only open their hearts to the Lord and accept his calling on their life. But anyway, I picked them up from the airport. And we're driving down 170, and I'm just driving along, minding my own business, not on the phone, not texting, not doing anything. And suddenly I hear this horn blaring, like, to the left and to the side of me. And I'm like, huh, they must be honking at somebody else. So this this gray sedan pulls up next, and it's a young woman, probably 23, 24. She may be here today, and if so, I apologize. Um, She's mad. I don't know what I did, but she is mad at me, and she is yelling windows are up, but she's yelling, little veins popping out, eyes bugging out a little bit, red on the face. And so I did that thing that you do where you kind of look to see like, is she talking to me? Right? Look over at my mom, like, are you mad at my mom? She just got here. She hasn't done anything. Um, but no, she's mad at me and, 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 and I don't really know why. Um, I really don't know why because most drivers around St. Louis seem to think that I'm a really good driver they think that I'm number one. And the reason I know that is because a lot of times they'll just point one finger up in the air when they drive by. It's not the pointer finger, but usually, and so I know I'm a good driver. Um, But anyway, conflict. Conflict, it is pervasive. It's all around us. And James chapter four starts by identifying it and diagnosing it. Listen to what James says at the very beginning of, of this passage. He says what, and he's right on point, what causes fights, and quarrels among you. Don't they come from the, the desire, from your desires that battle within you? You desire, he says, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. This is a deep and profound insight into the human condition in just very simple couple sentences. He says that the fights among us are a result of the war within us. There's a battle raging inside of us that spills out and creates conflict among us. And now, let me tell you what James is not talking about. He's not talking about reasonable disagreements where two people sit down and hash something out and figure something out and that are working towards a resolution. That's not what he's talking about. That's good conflict. That's necessary. Sometimes that should arise because that can prevent a more pervasive you know, sort of uh, a cancerous kind of conflict from arising and disrupting um, relationships. So sometimes conflict is good, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fights, the battles, the wars that that are in us that that spill out and result in conflicts among us. He's talking about. The battles that come out of our passions, out of our selfishness, out of our lust, out of our desire for uh, money or greed or power, whatever it is, he's talking about that kind of thing. And he says, this is what causes quarrels and conflict. It spills out of you. All you have to do is take a very quick look through the news this week and see that conflict on a global scale is pervasive. We've just learned about ISIS over the last few months. And this is a group that is absolutely brutally terrorizing people to, to take over uh, Syria and Iraq. And James is saying that the reason that this is happening is, is that it's arising out of the greed, the lust, the pervasive uh, desire for power and glory and a twisted religiosity that they're seeking for themselves. Then right across, not, not far from there, there's a conflict in Israel and Gaza. This has only been going on for about 10 billion years. People fighting for land, for power, for money, for revenge, for dominance, for superiority. Russia and the Ukraine are fighting. The rebels and the Ukrainian government and the Russians. And James is saying that all of this is just arising up out of the passions that are at war within the heart of a fallen and broken people that want more, more, and more. And closer to home... We have our own battles, right? We, we find ourselves either at work or in our families or with our kids or at school or on the job or in our career having conflict. And usually that conflict arises out of us wanting to feel right or justified or superior or to satiate our own ego or to win. We want to win. We want what is ours. And so we fight. Let me ask you this. Is anybody here... Um, Married. Anybody married? Yeah, there's some married folks. Anybody anybody, ever been in a uh, serious relationship that's not now in a serious relationship? You don't have to. You can raise it. Okay. Um, you're like. Um, any of you hope to be in a serious relationship at some point? Any of you know somebody who either was, is, or wants to be in a ser- relationship? Okay. That actually should cover everyone. Okay. I made sure we got that. Let me let me give you a deep insight into about into relationships. Here it is. Are you ready? You want to write this down. You will experience conflict in your relationship. You will. You know why? Because there's somebody else besides you in the relationship. And two people, both of whom have hearts that want what they want, there's going to arise a conflict. There's going to be conflict because James is saying that in our hearts, we have a desire, a self-interested, self-absorbed desire to get what is ours. And that's going to run into somebody else's self-interest and there will be conflict. Um, I saw a study this week that I thought I would share. And according to this survey, the average couple bickers or argues a total of now, this seems kind of high to me, but it's a study, a total of two thousand four hundred and fifty five times per year. So if you're, if you're calculating, that's 6.7 times per day. Little squabbles arguments. I wonder what the 0.7 is. That's the one I wanted to know. It's like, hey, I want the remote. Okay, never mind. You can have it. That's like a 0.7. Um, here's, what, here's what people fight about. And so if you're single, listen up. Like if you're single and you have a tendency to over-romanticize relationships, let me just tell you what, what people in relationships argue about. Number one, they argue about the other person not listening. Some of you are like, what did he just say? right. Um, (laughs) 112 fights per year uh, for the average couple about somebody not listening. Money is one of the things that people argue about. Snoring apparently is fairly high on the list. Um, And I have one word for people there. It's earplugs. This is very easy. Okay. I can solve some marital strife. Um, Driving too fast. Leave that one alone. Walking past things that need to go upstairs or downstairs. Does anybody know it 's like you know what I know that needs to go upstairs, but i 'm not really tracking with that right now i 've got another thing on my mind. Um, I love that an unkept house disciplining the children, laundry, sex, taking each other for granted children 's bedtime, getting home late from work, treading mud into the house i 've got this one we've got we 've got this carpet that 's like dark blue and light tan, and so all you have to do is like just walk on the dark blue parts when you come into the house. That's how I do that, and that's worked really well. Um, um, Not closing cupboard doors. I don't think that's fair because sometimes you need to get something else out of the cupboard, or you might later that afternoon, so you shouldn't have to close the cupboard doors all the time. I mean, come on. Um, Not answering your phone is a big one. And um, not answering your phone is a a big one for people. Um, Failing to say... (laughs) Failing to say please. Thank you and not saying I love you These are all things that couples fight about they just do they fight about this stuff Um, this may come as a shock to some of you, but rebecca and I occasionally disagree about something It's crazy, but we actually sometimes disagree. What may not come as a shock to you is that i'm A hundred percent convinced that i'm right about a hundred percent of the time when we start the argument At the beginning of the argument, I'm convinced, right? Then we start to move into the argument, into the disagreement. I start to see a couple little holes in my reasoning, maybe a little logical flaw here or there, nothing big, just little things. And then I start to realize that, wait, her perspective has merit. And then my 100% starts to dwindle down. Now it's 40, now it's 30, now it's about 15%. But I tell you, I am going to hold on to that 15% come hell or high water, that part I'm right about. Right? I'm not wrong about that. In fact, it's funny because we'll be in an argument and I'll start thinking of the counter arguments that she could make that would defeat my argument. And I'm just hoping that she doesn't think of those because then she's going to win the argument. And by this time, I'm not working to resolve the conflict. I'm arguing to win. I'm arguing. Sometimes it's just an argument of attrition. I just like, you know what? I'm just going to outlast her. Right? I've got all day. I'm just going to go for this. But that's what James is talking about, he's, he's saying that we're allowing the internal battle to justify ourselves, to justify our own actions, our own words, our own deeds. We're letting that battle spill out into an external confrontation with people that we love. He said, we're letting the war within become the war without. And one of the most revealing stories in scripture about this issue is when Jesus Right before he died, it's a Thursday evening. He's having Passover dinner with the, peop- the 12 people that are closest to him. And he's sitting down with them. And this is, these, are, these guys owe him everything. They've suffered with him. They've seen miracles with him. But because of him, he, he's transported their lives from just mere survival to being some of the most important and influential people in the history of the universe. The the movement that they're about to bring in is going to radically change the trajectory of the universe forever. These are the guys that he's got around him. And he sits down with them and he knows that he's going to die in one day. The next day he's going to die. And so he sits down with them and he begins to pour out his heart to them. And this is the beautiful passage in Luke where he, he says to them, he says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then he takes bread and he, and, and he breaks it and he, and, and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body that's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So he's having this beautiful, intimate, emotional conversation with them. And he's telling them that I'm about to suffer and I'm about to die and have my body broken. I'm about to spill my blood and I'm going to, and I'm going to be stepping out into what I'm called to do. And he's vulnerable and he's maybe, he's a man too, remember? So he's, he's, there's fear, there's anxiety, and he's probably trying to keep his voice from trembling and, and, and keep, you know, the tears from flowing. And he's sharing this pouring this out to the guys that he trusts the most and what do they do do they embrace him do they put their arms around him and say hey you know it's going to be all right we're with you how do they respond verse 24 says here's how they respond a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest So he's pouring everything out for them, the most intimate moment in their relationship. And and when he turns away, they look at each other and go, you know, um, I wonder if I'm going to be number one in this guy's kingdom because they are like us. That's the nature of being a human. James is pointing out the obvious. We are mainly interested in ourselves. That's just the nature of being a human being. That's just who we are. In fact, I remember my mom used to say, don't worry about what people think about you because they're probably not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. Our wants, our dreams, our desires, that's what drives us. And that's what leads us to the conflicts in our lives. At the root of every conflict is one or both parties seeking to fulfill their own selfish desire. So that's the diagnosis james says this is who we are. We are inherently self-absorbed and selfish That's and and that and by the way, that's what I love about the christian faith. It is not pollyanna It is raw and it just says look this is who you are and you already know this about yourself, right? This is who we are. This is what it means to be a person. So what is the prognosis? What what happens if this goes untreated if we continue along this path? What does that do to our relationship with god? Verse 4, James says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with God, strife with God, conflict with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. These are heavy words. These are powerful words where he is saying whatever, when he says the world, he's not talking about the physical world. He's talking about anything that preoccupies your heart, mind, or soul and draws you away from God. That's the world. And if you're preoccupied with money, power, sex, lust, hate, career, whatever it is, it doesn't, it's not, doesn't have to even be an inherently, you can be preoccupied with church and, 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 and place of God or your family or whatever. And he says, whatever that is that puts you in conflict with God. He says, in effect, he says, you adulterous people, he means, basically, in effect, he's saying, your, your your heart is cheating on God because he is primary. And when you now have something else in that spot, this is adultery. And Jesus' disciples, in effect, were saying that to him around that table. As he's pouring himself out to them and saying, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to suffer for you, they turned and they said, really what they were saying is, We're more interested. The the part of our heart that was reserved for you is actually we're moving you out and we're moving ourselves in because we want to know that we're going to be the greatest. We're concerned with our status, with our power, with our position. And I want to tell you, most of the time as a pastor, most of the time, my motivation, my goal, my hope as a pastor is to preach the gospel in a way that empowers people that brings strength into their life that transforms them that that brings them into a redemptive whole and you know integral relationship with God that's my goal most of the time but some of the time some of the time that godly desire is replaced with the worldly desire to just have a cool big church to be you know, looked at by my peers and have other people go, man, that guy is rocking. That church is awesome. Sometimes, and that's an earthly desire. The goal, the end goal, the end result may be the same, but the, but, but James is talking about our motivation. What's in there for you? Is it, are you after God or are you after yourself? You know, I look at guys like Brian Lauret's at Memphis Tabernacle or, or Derwin Gray down in Transformation Church in South Carolina, or I look at Brooklyn Tabernacle, you know, or even, like, Christ Church in Nashville. And I sometimes I, you know, sometimes my heart is not like, God, how do I, you know, how do I uh, bring the gospel in a way that just transforms the hearts of people, uh, you know, and, and how do I be transformed at the same time? You know, sometimes my heart's not doing that. Sometimes my heart is going, How do we, how do we rock like those churches rock, you know? We do rock carol. Yeah Okay (laughs) I love that um In other words, sometimes we seek to gratify ourselves rather than than You know loving god with all that we are And james is saying are we in pursuit of god? Are we in pursuit of self because we cannot simultaneously serve two masters we can't do it Uh, and so This puts us at a seemingly insurmountable impasse Because we know, you know, and I know that deep down in our hearts, we are not going to maintain this sort of beatific, glorious, transcendent, pure hearted state where all we're concerned about is God. We just know that's not going to happen, right? That's not reality. We know that this week there will be times when our hearts are not right. We know that this week there will be times that we'll get in conflict or we'll have an attitude or we'll be our minds will be off God. We know that. We know we may be dry, You may be driving down the street and, and 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 listening to the you know your Christian music. You may have Fred Hammond bumping on the stereo, or you may have your hipster Christian Need to Breathe stuff going, and you're flowing down the uh, the, the the road, and you're like, you know what, my heart is with God right now. I'm not, you know, I'm not focused on myself. And then suddenly, you know. Pastor Brent pulls in front of you in a 2009 Nissan Altima and you're giving him the one finger salute and suddenly you're not, you're not, your heart is not with God. We know that it's not possible for us to keep our heart fixed on God at all times. So how do we get over this impasse? How do we fix this? Is there five steps? Is there some mantra, some meditation that we can do that will keep us on track? James tells us in the very next verse, and this is profound, one simple line. He says, he gives us more grace. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? We can't fix it. He fixes it. He fixes us. He gives us more grace. He sheds his mercy. He pours out his love upon us because we can't do it. After supper on that Thursday evening, when Jesus was with his disciples, he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And the Garden of Gethsemane, even the word means an oil press. And they would take these olives and press these olives until the oil spilled out. And the scripture says that the pressure was so intense upon jesus that he was praying and it was as if great drops of blood were pouring his sweat was like drops of blood he was so intensely passionate the agony the the intensity the the emotion was just right there and you know you look around and are his guys with him are they got their arms around him are they praying with him scripture says they're asleep they pass out they're 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 just like us They're interested in themselves. They're not interested. They're not really. They can't keep their heart on track. And so Jesus does for them and for us what they and we cannot do for ourselves. He goes and he climbs up on the tree and he sacrifices himself for us. He knew we would get distracted. He knew there would be strife in our life. He knew there would be conflict. He knew that you would have struggles at your work, in your relationship with your kids. He knew about ISIS. He knew about Israel and Gaza. He knew about Russia and Ukraine. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to climb up on the cross, and I'm going to suffer. I'm going to take all of the punishment for all of that conflict upon myself so that you can be free." so that you can live a life of freedom and liberty, and you can have a life where your chains are broken. That's what I'm going to do for you. James ends this part of the passage by calling us to turn back to Christ, who's the one who died for us. He says in verse 7, Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come near to God, and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And then, and then he ends with this. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble, Come to him. In other words, take your sin and your pride and your selfishness and your arguments and your grief and your regrets and all that junk that you carry around. Give it to him and let him lift you up. Just get this off your back. Lay it on him. And if you're tired of fighting your own battles, come to him and let him be the victor in your life. If you're tired of trying to right your own wrongs, let his righteousness replace yours. Because he's perfect and you cannot do it on your own. If you're tired of trying and failing, let him pick up the race and run you across the finish line. Because that's what he's here for. James is saying that the ultimate answer to human conflict is divine surrender. Turn to God and give him everything that you have. Your heart, soul, mind, and body. And then you say, well, okay, then great. What are the practical steps after that, right? Just get be a part of a church. Get around a community of believers that will help to strengthen you and buoy you. If you come here, come... Be a part of a, of, of a life group. Get on a dream team. Make connections with people in the congregation. Let folks get around you and help to elevate you and strengthen you and lift you up. And before long, you're going to be doing that for them because this all this this whole thing man this whole uh, the whole gospel is all about Christ coming to die for you to liberate you and empower you why so that you can liberate and empower others why because that's what glorifies God ultimately that's what brings him glory is that people are free and they love him and they worship him and they find freedom and joy in him that's what the whole thing is about and so i want to invite you today if you are not a believer And you're kind of like on the fence, and you're thinking, hmm, this is interesting. I want to invite you today to cross that line and become a person who lets God work in your life in profound and meaningful ways. And if you're a Christian, or you grew up in a Christian home or a Christian church, and you feel like you've just been struggling and fighting to make it, like trying to get it right, and trying to make sure your mind is doing this right, and you got your practices down, and you got your disciplines, and that's all good, but ultimately, you're not going to be able to do it on yourself. He gives us more grace. It's his love, his mercy, his peace that comes upon us that allows us to experience him in powerful and meaningful ways. Amen? Let's close our eyes. If you are not a Christian and you and today something in this message makes you want to cross that line and commit your heart to God, I want to invite you to, to do that today. And it may just be simply in your heart just saying, God, I want you to, to come in. Um, I want to be, I want to follow you. And I want to invite you to do that as we pray. And and, and those of you who are, are Christians, just uh, open your heart to God and let him fill you. Let him replace your own um, struggle and your own strife and your own fighting, the, the, the passions that are at war within you. I want to invite you to do that as we pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now and we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love, and we thank you, Lord God, that you are peace. You bring peace in the midst of conflict. You bring justice in the midst of injustice. You bring hope in the midst of despair. You bring love in the midst of hatred, God. And we know, God, that we turn over our hearts.